Hi, and welcome to Rockhound Talk Live, the only live Rockhound podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm your guest, Amber Nicole, and this is, I'm your guest, I'm your host. <laughs> I'm your host, Amber Nicole, and this is my co-host, Ben Korn. Hey, Hi, Ben, everyone. how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to bring our new guest out tonight and um, learn a bit more about Montana uh, minerals and agates and her lapidary work. So how have you been? Yeah, I've been great. Just, um, you know, trying to do some winter stuff, you know, clean up around the house. And I just organized like a ton of my rocks, which is always a huge, huge undertaking. So I'm really happy to like finally have that done. I actually finished... Um, getting everything into my fluorescent display case, which was really nice because I had used that for our mineral club show back in September. Yeah. And so it's just sort of been sitting in my house empty for like a few months. So finally able to get that together, which is really great. Yeah. And you have your little setup, your little cleaning station setup. I know you were working on that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that I really need to do some more of is I've got a bunch of stuff that I found that I need to try to like go through and get, you know, cleaned and, you know, sort of prepped and like all that stuff. Yeah. So yesterday you sent me an article about some news in the paleontology world about a new find of the T-Rex species in New Mexico. Is that right? Uh, yeah, sort of. It's actually a relative of T-Rex. Okay. Um, I'm trying to pull up the exact name, which I'm probably going to butcher anyways. Um, but it's a, it's a type of Tyrannosaur. Um, they're calling it Mastrichetion. Um, <laughs> it's a M-A-A-S-T-R-I-C-H-T-I-A-N. Um, so it, this actually predates a t-rex by like six to seven million years and it was wow. apparently much larger so they uh found um these fossils that they thought were originally t-rex in new mexico and then they were able to go through and determine that it was actually a new species oh yeah like and that was what did you say six to seven million years before the one that we previous knew right yeah six to seven so six it was seven. yeah that's um, that's a long time. Yeah. So they think it's like 73 or like 70 million years ago, wow. um, which is, you know, before the, the T-Rex. And then we were talking, you were saying that we as humans are closer uh, to the T-Rex than Stegosaurus, correct? Yeah. It's one of the um, sort of common misconceptions that people think like all of the dinosaurs that they see in movies um, or maybe they've seen some of the like famous, you know, like fossils or even some like dinosaur cartoons. Um, people think that the dinosaurs like all just sort of live together. Um, and that's actually not the case. So the Stegosaurus lived um, further away from the T-Rex than we actually live right now to the T-Rex. So, yeah. So one of the things that I was just reading about trying to get my, you know, like, different periods right and everything was there were stegosaurus fossils when t-rex came about 
that, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that is. That's in, when you think about, especially with the inaccuracies of the movies, it doesn't seem quite right. But it is interesting that there were already on the ground fossils by the time T-Rex came. That's 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 unbelievable, actually. Um, and then we, we were, who were we saying? What else were we mentioning that? Um, um, oh, did we confirm with the? Did we mention what period? Oh, the Cretaceous. Yes, you did mention that. Yeah, yeah, they're they're Cretaceous. So yeah, um, yeah, and if you know, like I've mentioned too, um, there's some really cool spots in Montana that you can find um, some dinosaur bones. Um, I've actually found T-Rex bones myself. I didn't get to keep any of them. Um, but there's some really cool places. Um, it's the Hell Creek Formation in, um, in Montana. Yeah. And you know, what's actually, honestly, something really cool that I learned, um, which well, I'll, we'll dive more into when we have, um, Chase Pipes on our show later this season, which is exciting. Um, he did an episode on, um, maybe it was a few years ago on his YouTube channel, um, and they were talking about just how like there are literally just an insane amount of dinosaur fossils such as like Stegosaurus um, just all over just sitting and like breaking down from weatherization that you know unfortunately we can't collect you know legally um, but and you know kind of just how unfortunate that is that there are so many out there that we aren't able to collect that we can learn from and just there's enough for like all of us to have like that just blew my mind because when we think about dinosaur bones I don't know I just think about like in my mind they just seem so rare to find so it's yeah there's there's actually a lot of spots um I've talked to some of the people in Montana that they've said you know like they'll find dinosaur bones on like the BLM land and they'll talk to like the um the the BLM office and they'll say like hey like I found you know some bones I didn't touch them here's where they're at you know like all that kind of stuff and then they kind of go okay like if we can get someone out there like we'll you know we'll kind of get to it but a lot of times they don't because if it's not something that's like a significant thing there's not really a reason to go out there it's it's sort of um like if you ever go to a dinosaur national monument in utah there's sort of a really cool um um uh, display that they have where it's it's literally like the rock with all the fossils in it and mm-hmm. they just sort of have this huge it's just basically a huge wall of fossils and a lot of people go and they go like wow like you know there's so many fossils and it's really cool and whatever and I think what people are kind of missing is like there's so many fossils and they've sort of gotten the information they need from them and they're not like actively excavating them right like, right there's a lot of stuff that they just sort of like disappear and I think it, it brings up a lot of like the ethical questions that people have too about like private um trying to do like private lands and people being able to collect and um you know sell fossils and all of that mm-hmm. it's sort of tough because it's like there's there's a part where it's like yes people should be able to get academic information from them yeah but if we don't we don't have enough money for all of the people in the paleontological world to go out and collect these fossils. So what's going to happen? They literally will just turn yeah. to dust. Yeah. So like, um, I mean, we should be able to 
you know, with, with, within reason, be able to collect these without such restrictions. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, um, you know, like I, I, I listened to a talk from, it was actually a British, uh, paleontology, um, uh, professor that was in Montana and he was working with the BLM office out of Miles city, Montana, and they had okay. found, I don't remember what kind of dinosaur it was, but, um, he had found this, they had been contacted by a farmer that said, we have a dinosaur fossil on our land. We need someone to come and get it. And they had to basically run out there, get it in a jacket, excavate it, throw it in the back of a pickup and like get it out of there. And they had to do all of that because it was in this gully. And if they didn't get it out that season, the rains would have come and literally just washed away the fossil. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of, you know, people sometimes think like, oh, like these fossils have been around for millions of years and they're just going to still sit around for millions of years. But they're, a lot of times they're really fragile and they'll just sort of break apart and disappear if no one does anything with them. Right. Yeah, it's, that's too bad. Tonight we will have Sally Bleck, a Montana miner and lapidary artist on with us. Uh, she is does an amazing job with um, her cabochons, uh, just her lapidary work is impressive. I came across her on Instagram and was just really impressed with like, you think about like the heart of a rock hound and just like that free spirit exploring and loving the outdoors, like that's Sally. Like she is like, when you think about a rock hound that, I just imagine her like she's such a diehard. So excited to have her on and to learn more about her. I'm excited to talk about Sally. Um, like Amber said, she's a huge rock hound lapidary artist. And she also does some really cool embroidery too. We'll see if oh, she yeah. talks some about that too. So Yeah, so let's um, bring her on in. Hello. Hey. Hi. How are Happy. you? Good. How are you? Doing well. Excited Good. to hear more about your journey and just yeah. some of your experiences. Um, I, I hear such great things about whenever, you know, I mentioned you or tagged you, or reposted you, or just even like on some of my Instagram posts and comments from, you know, followers of yours, always such great things to say. So excited to learn more about you. So why don't you tell us a bit about how you became a rock hound? Tell us about your journey and how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah. Well, I like to joke that I was never given a choice. My dad got into it um, by some older rock hounds that lived in the same town as him. And um, so from day one, I was just going up there or to the claim that he used to dig with them. And um, definitely when I was a little kid, I didn't. I took it for granted and I like got tired of it and I'd rather be in town playing with my friends and I would still go up there with them. And then I got a little out of it in high school and got back into it post high school. You know, I hear a lot about that from mm -hmm. a, a lot of rock hounds who started off young, that there's like this phase where they kind of just, it's not cool. It's not yeah. what they want to do. And then mm -hmm. they end up fighting their way back. And mm -hmm. I just, I think that's awesome because it's obviously attributed to, you know, parents that got you started young and how important that is to get your kids out into nature. So like, you know, whatever changes come in life, like it, you know, nature, rock hounding, whatever it is, outdoors, you know, brings you mm -hmm. back in. So that's cool. Definitely. 
So you also mentioned that you were named after one of your dad's greatest finds. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So uh, one of the claims that he dug at, it's a private claim here in Montana. He dug it for a few years and just like hit it really hard. And then he finally got lucky one summer. And it happened to be the summer I was born, just, you know, within a month or two after I was born. And it took him five days to extract the pocket. It ended up being about 2,000 amethyst scepters, which is crazy. Like, I've never found anything close to that. And uh, he always says that I was his lucky charm for that. Um, but I was, he did already, or both my parents already named me after the claim um, prior to that, obviously. Yeah, but that's cool. it was a place they both fell in love with. And I think it was like a neutral name, too. It wasn't like anyone's choice. So that's awesome. it worked well. Yeah. So, um, so you came back into rock hounding after adolescence, you know, in your young adulthood and what kind of brought you back into it? Yeah, just wanting to tap back into something from my childhood, hearing some friends kind of like start to dip their toes in it and me being like, well, I already have the in on that. Um, so yeah, I started digging again. I went up with my mom for the first time. I think it was in like 2012, just a couple years after high school. And then that was when I was like, oh, I remember doing this. And then I yeah. started going up more and more. And then I started um, kind of dipping my toes in other minerals in the state. Um, yeah, anything shiny is kind of what I like to look for. Yeah. So what are some of the, the minerals and rocks and things that you found in Montana? Yeah. Some of my favorites have been amethyst, of course, and then smoky quartz. I grew up digging sapphires, too. That's actually the only mineral I've ever, like, beat my dad's find on. <laughs> and then um, that's, like, always the goal is to, like, one-up him. And wait, then... Wait, real quick on your sapphire, like, what was your yep. largest? It was a 13.1. That's pretty big. That's yeah, twelve years bad. old. Yeah, what? it was actually it's a bucket. Of... Darn kids! Yeah. the kids, and they don't even yeah. care. They're like, oh, okay. no. Well, and it's funny because you look at it and it's so big that your eyes almost because they're used to finding smaller and your eyes almost go over it and then they go back and they're like, whoa, is that just like glass? And it was a sapphire, so that was That's really special. Incredible. And then I like to get highlight opal and then some agates, of course and calcite um, we have some fun fluoride in the state um yeah tourmaline shoral it's like uh, everything like everything great yeah <laughs> it is everything in the state so let me ask you just in the minerals that you just mentioned and and you say the state it's a big state are we talking like a wide range where you're finding these minerals is there like kind of a general location no um not at all i wouldn't say because even the courts, we have more than one batholith, so you can get, you know, those can vary a lot, at least like a few hours apart. And then obviously that, or I shouldn't say obviously, but the agate, the really good Montana agate comes from eastern Montana. And that's like a seven hour drive from me right here. Okay. Um, so it's not even a day trip. So you just, you really just go all over the state then? Mm -hmm. I don't do a ton of agate collecting, but most of my spots are within three hours of Bozeman. Okay. Okay. And where's, is that Bozeman? Is, is that like center? North, Pretty south? central. Okay. Yeah. A little central south. You're, south. you're what, like an hour and a half north of Yellowstone Park? Uh, an hour. Hour. Okay. 
yeah, it's kind of depending what direction you go. But yeah. So I, I do have to ask, so that big sapphire that you found, what did you guys end up doing with it? Did you yeah. just like keep it or yeah. did you facet it? Like what did you do? No, I, I still have it. I want to facet it someday. When I was a little girl, I thought it would be like on my ring in a wedding band already, but I'm not married. So like, it's kind of funny. It's just sitting in a tube in my house. So it'll someday have a I will cut it though. Yeah, someday when something <laughs> exciting hits you or something yes. that moves you, then you've got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but okay, it's ready. It's waiting. Definitely need to update us whenever you cut <laughs> that. Whenever you do something with it, it, like we totally want to see what you do with that. Mm-hmm. I will definitely. Um, I saw there was a question on here um, from Rolf who asked, um, "How did you start out in lapidary?" Yeah, the same thing. My dad's mentor his name was Leland and he did a lot of lapidary so my first kind of like introduction was just all these old guys in the Rockhound club like bringing what they made um I got this bolo from one of them not Leland another gentleman when I was really little and so I still have that to this day um when I was 14 I went to a camp in uh, Du Bois Wyoming and I actually learned how to do lapidary there. And that's where I made my first like belt buckle and pendant. And I made a pin for my mom. And then it wasn't until like five years ago, I started visiting a family friend shop here in Bozeman. And I would just go over like once every six months even and just kind of play around. And then a year ago, they invited me over um, and wanted to really like teach me more and more how to do it. And so I just kind of dove right in. I got a lot of my, I'm 31. So I did that, started when I was 30. Oh, just the lapidary in the last year. Yeah. Well, I started publicly selling for one year. Yeah. And then my first, like, was when I was like 13, 14. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, because you do really well for just one year. Yeah. (laughs) No, I've been, and also I think just being around the material my whole life, because I've seen agate forever. And yeah. it's kind of funny because we always like my dad was into amethyst and sapphires, not agate. So we weren't going to go drive. You know, that was nine hours from us in Helena. Right. Uh, I mean, for that, I mean, when we could drive an hour for like right. amazing amethyst. Right, right, right. I can, mm-hmm. totally can understand that. Yeah. yeah. And now most of your your lapidary work, though, is that mostly agate, though? Yeah, I try to I'm making my niche Montana minerals. So I cut a few other things, but I'm not finding a ton of other people cutting just montana agate there's a ton of like turquoise cutters and a lot of like jasper cutters so i am just focusing on montana agate since i'm no one seems to like be selling a ton of that yeah not on the instagram world i should say yeah so so you did mention um doing some rock hunting uh like with your dad so i did want to bring up so we got some photos that you had sent yes so what, what tell me about these photos what are these Yeah, so those are both from the claim that I grew up digging that I'm actually named after. The one on the right, um, it used to look a lot like that where it was just like a few mounds of dirt and really forested. And now it's just all dirt. Um, Oh, wow. It looks a lot like if you know of Crystal Park, it looks like that now. Um, And then the photo on the left is my dad would bring up or he would let me bring my friends up. So that's me and a friend. Um, behind him in a hole and I think a lot of the like his digging with a little kid was me like 
bugging him asking like what's in there like all right always ask him to put dirt in the shaker so i could like get all the crystals out and i don't think i realized like how much hard work he had to do that to let me have the best part um but he did he always shared that with me Oh, that's great. yeah and then that top left photo that gentleman and that is actually leland and he's the guy who got my dad into rock hounding and he actually passed away about a year and a half ago and he and left all his like rocks and a lot of his lapidary equipment to me and my dad so like a lot of the agate i use came from stuff he collected and so it's been really special working through it And that, that photo on the bottom, then, or is that just like you guys having a picnic next to the creek? Is that the creek? We're that... gold panning. Ah. Oh, So okay. that's, yep, yeah, that's a different spot. When I was a little kid, my dad was really into gold panning. And then when I got a little older, he, I mean, crystals took over and sapphires. Um, and so I actually have like never gold panned as an adult, but we used to do it when I was a kid. And then that top right photo was just a random dig in the boulder bath lift. Okay. And then is this your, your shop that you have? Not my shop. It's my mentor's shop. It's a family friend and they've, they've known my parents longer than I've been alive. They know them each other through like the rock hounding community. Um, they were, they were agate hunters who wanted to get into crystals and sapphires and they bought a sapphire claim. And so my dad helped them dig it and kind of taught them kind of the ropes in that realm. And so they kind of took me under their wing and have been teaching me agate. So it's been fun to watch that go full circle, but they have an amazing shop and the amount of thought that it's a, a woman and a man and the amount of thought that they've both put into just curating, like where things go just shows to like how many years they've spent like working in a shop just like they even have machines tilted so it's just convenient to like work in them and things I would have never done like without their um, leadership. And so Ralph also asked since we're talking about you know cabochons and you working on uh, different rocks like what's your favorite rock or gem to work with? Yeah definitely agate the Montana agate. Yeah and there's that case full of it. Yeah. And then that photo on the far right, that's actually a photo of a bookcase from Leland's house. It's really hard to describe, but his whole house basically looked like a version of that. So when you talk about like a true rock hound, someone who like breathed, slept, like uh -huh. all they cared about was rocks, that was Leland. Like you would try to talk to him about like the weather And somehow that would loop back around to like the geology, like we're standing on or something. It, like I love he couldn't, it. yeah, he just couldn't have a conversation outside of that. And just like I would, I wish I would have documented documented his home before um, it all got like moved out and stuff because it it was truly incredible. Just spinning around and like he didn't even have a couch; he just had display cases and like some chairs. And it was really remarkable, like how much you can put into this hobby. So yeah. were those all like USGS reports and like just rock hounding books then? Yeah, so it's was a combination of books he's collected throughout his 80 years slash every single article that had anything to do with geology throughout his entire lifetime that he came across in any of his readings, newspapers, like life magazines, he cut out and put into those books and had them oral categorized. So he had books on North Dakota, he had books on Mississippi, he had books on Wisconsin, and it's all just like filed into these like really organized 
um, literature and it's so amazing because I've like I'll look through them and I'll find articles from like the 40s um, and deposits that like people have kind of forgotten and it's it's a really wonderful resource that and it's like kind of this little treasure trove that like the world never knew about but just existed that's incredible and these look like some just different crystals and things you you found so so where are these from yeah those are all actually three different locales um the two photos on either end one is from the boulder batholith and the other is from the pioneer batholith so the pioneer batholith would be crystal park which is very famous here in montana um and that's actually my biggest crystal find from that location is that photo on the right and then that middle guy is just some calcite from here in montana so uh i was gonna ask are these locations private or are they public uh the boulder bathless one is private the other two are public locales and i think you you sent a video of the crystal i did yeah let me, let me bring that up Put all your strength on it the whole thing really gold. yep this is so cool <sighs> My friend's sighing because I told him to dig there. <laughs> but this was when you, you were digging out and then you just yes. found it. <gasps> oh, oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> That's like That's his biggest so <laughs> That <laughs> oh. was a smoky quartz or amethyst? Yeah, no smoky oh, quartz. Oh, gosh, yeah. look at that. Oh, yeah, gorgeous. It weighed in at two pounds, which was really cool. And then it had a little sidecar right next to it that I had extracted just like moments before that video. So tell me, when you're digging, for example, for um, quartz crystals like that, what are some of the indicators that you're looking for, you know, before you decide like this is an area where I want to start digging? Yeah. So at that specific spot at Crystal Park, it's an alluvial dig. It's a little harder. There's still pockets, but um. It's a little more like luck and okay. um, and then hard work. Like the more dirt you move, the more you're going to find. Yeah. I will say at that spot, um, a lot of people get so worked up or not worked up. Um, they get so like gung ho on digging into a wall when a lot of times like the reason why that wall exists is because there was something good in front of it that someone already dug. So maybe instead of going past where they were, dig down. Yeah. Because um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how I found that rock. So I always start, like any hole I get in, I usually like take out another foot or two under me and then I okay. go in um, okay. just because, I don't know, you never know like so if they're going... just extracting it, they yeah. pro- could have been on something good and they just went over instead of yeah, searching down. a little yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That makes sense. Um, but if you're in the boulder batholith, there's a lot more hard rock digging and in there you're just looking for pegmatite. Okay. Anything exposed, looking for shards on the ground too, and all of that. And these are some other photos uh, that you had sent. So, is the one on the left? Is that you, like at a show, like selling some? I think some of your embroidery. Yeah. So I sell both my embroidery and my lapidary at shows, and I love to talk to little kids. And it's sometimes it's hard to talk about your art. So when little kids come and look at rocks, it's so nice. I can be like, isn't it shiny? Or like I ask them (laughs) if they're a rock hound. And then I always like talk to their parents um, and like tell them about some local spots they can take the kids to if they're into that sort of thing. 
Yeah, I've seen some of your um, your embroidery. It's so cool. Like, I love Thank your you. hats. Like, very, yeah, very I'm cool. Wearing one now. Yeah. yeah, very, yeah. very cool. And then this was um, one that you had sent um, a couple days ago. It looks like it has a bunch of, like, manganese dendrites. Is, yeah, is there anything yep. special with this? You know, I was looking for a highlight opal and came across those, and it, like, stopped me in my tracks, and I was like, I don't even need to look for anything else. I found it. <laughs> Um, it was just fun. I've never seen ones that big and it just like, I know they could exist, but I've just never seen them in person. And I was just like, they do exist. So it was really fun to stumble upon. Um, I was also at about, gosh, 95 to 10,000 feet. So we were up pretty high on a ridge where it was. Okay. Yeah. I actually found, um, it was, uh, some manganese dendrites in, um, it was in a, actually a tailings pile in Montana in okay. um, the, I think it's Castle is like the ghost town that's up there. Um, okay. But there was an old copper mine and I was going through some of the tailings and I found a piece. I mean, it was like a, at least a foot like long, like piece of, of limestone that has just these gorgeous, just dendrites like coming up. It was pretty cool. Yeah. They're so fun when you find them. Yeah. There's so much out in Montana to mm -hmm. just explore that. Like, I, I'm a little jealous. Like, I try and make it back to Montana once a year. But I know, like, where you're at, there's just so much to do. Do you, do you have, like, a favorite spot, then, that you go to a lot to try to find oh, stuff? Oh, gosh. I don't know if I go there so much, but my favorite spot would be where I'm named after, for sure. Just because I've been going there for so long. But, uh, yeah, just court spots are probably my favorite. Yeah. Do you ever collect fossils, dinosaur bones, any of that? You know, I never have, um, but I've been up to like Malta and on the High Line and then even Eastern Montana. Um, I, well, I stumbled across a deposit of fossils once um, and it was pretty high up in the mountains and I can't tell you where because they're like my spot. But <laughs> um, my friend found an ammonite up there and I was so what? jealous and it even had a little of like Stop that it. opalized sheen on it. <sighs> Um, and I've been back there a few times and haven't found anything close to that. So, so how, how big was it? Because I've seen people in my It was little. Okay. Yeah, we, it was we little. We actually had, um, so I went to my undergrad at Rocky Mountain College in Billings, Montana. Okay. Nice. And they had in the basement, I guess it was like the world record for whatever species of ammonite it was. And it was on a pallet and it took up the entire pallet. Okay, and I was damn. like, I had like just imagining that creature f just floating in the water, just going along. I'm like, I just can't even imagine like something like that. That's crazy. <laughs> and but... someone with water fears like me, I don't need to know those things exist. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you don't, I take it you don't like um, do much like panning or any kind of stuff like that then. Okay. No, no. I'm, I'm an alpine kid. Yeah, yeah. So you did have one other video of some quartz, I think. Um, yeah. So w w where was this from? This is digging with my dad at where I'm named after that private claim. This was just this oh. last summer. So every year for his birthday, we dig around like his birthday. Um, and that was just our daddy-daughter dig from last year.
Okay, and those look like there's it's a bunch of smoky quartz. Yeah, yeah, and that's a fun video too because I always call it kind of a peanut butter layer, and you can really see how it's like that really clay layer where they're popping yeah. out of. Yeah, and so that's actually a good indicator whenever I see that layer and it gets a little more clay-like and sticky. Yeah. I yeah, just follow butter, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very similar like that when I've been digging and. Um in New York for Herkimer's you can see kind of like a little peanut butter kind of sandy clayish kind of consistency and you want to you want to keep staying there and digging for sure but you're going through hard rock right and you're just well, following no, that there's some not alluvial. at that point well okay. there's alluvial deposits too so yeah so it's it's a mixture of both in dolostone um and in in the soil as well um okay. i think i think most people um associate the mining there with the hard rock but mm. there are some mines that are like anomalies like dirty diamond diggers that you just literally dig into the dirt and then get into the clay and you're just like pulling out these gorgeous crystals so they do have both cool it is fun to just wipe the clay off and really see that like and then you see that little time. window <laughs> that that faceted part you're just like oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah i get that a lot too even just like in montana looking for agates where you see something that you're like i think this might be an agate and you like mm -hmm. flip it over or start digging it out and then you're just like oh like this is like way bigger than i thought i actually had I was out near uh, Terry, Montana, and I found it was just like just a little bit like sticking up like that. And I dug around it and it was like a pound and a half agate. Like it was crazy. Dang, that's great. Like that's you so just cool. never know. Nope. No. Did that one have any dendrites or anything in it? No, it was actually really odd. Um, I wish I had it like near me, but it's actually because like most of the Montana agates aren't banded, but this had like a bunch of like bands. It was like a bunch okay. of quartz but it had like a bunch of bands in it it's actually pretty cool, cool. like yeah you just usually don't see you know banded agates and, mm -hmm, and not that enough. big mm -hmm. yeah yeah so is there anywhere then that you are like bucket list like i really you know really want to like dig here or, or something to collect um just in montana oh or... yeah. well, i guess anywhere oh gosh um Oh, that's so hard. I am a little bit of a Montana snob. So like, <laughs> I would, um, I really want to find some Montana corundrum and Ooh. slice it and kind of sell it like they sell the tourmaline slices. Mm. That's on my bucket list. I'd really, there's some private claims I'd really like to go to, but those I have to like, hope I find like someday get an invite. Um, yeah. And then as far, I would love to go to Australia or like anywhere in yes. the Alps. <clears throat> those are definitely on my bucket list. French Alps, like going in and like climbing like the those slip. mountains. Yes. And, oh, yes. that That's, is my yeah. literal bucket list. <laughs> like I have to do that before I die. If I don't, like I will be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. I like <laughs> That's the only reason I want to learn like alpinism and like I'm slowly kind of dipping my toes and climbing and the only interest is like so I can transcribe that through rock hounding. I don't like want to go to 12 climbs or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know some I... people like Colorado will even 
go like you know like mountaineer up mountains to try to find like crystal pockets and stuff yeah i can't imagine like some of it i'm like okay if it's like a really expensive like small crystal i can kind of get it but i'm used to like i'll go on the yellowstone river and i'll find two five gallon buckets full of agates i'm like there's no way i could like carry that like repel yeah. down a mountain or something like that yeah or if you do, you're going to cry by the time you get to the car because your back hurts so bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I've done that. So um, I just wanted to show you had some lapidary videos, too. Um, well, that's not a lapidary video. This one. <laughs> so that was, um, it looks like one of the Montana agates you were cutting. Yeah. Um, and then you sent um, this video. Are, are those, Ooh, those weren't look at that. slices off that rock, were, were they? No, that's a different rock. That was one I actually cut like just a week ago. And I've, it's one of my so favorite pretty. ones I've cut in a yeah. hot minute. And it reminds me of little bacon slices. Bacon, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that one was a really beautiful. So when you slice them like that, do you then make them into cabochons or you do like yeah. other things with them? So that specific um specimen will just be left as slabs because they're so good um i could make more money if i chopped them up but i think part of being a rock hound is knowing when to keep it as a specimen because you won't come across another one like that so that one i am going to keep as specimens but okay. most of them i do cap i will say okay wow, yeah these are so were you pretty. making this into like a set or were you doing like, like what, what did you yeah. do? So uh, those were two sets and I actually gave those away on Instagram last month or so. Oh, nice. But I really like those cuts. Uh, the pear on the right in the middle is like one of my favorite cuts I've done in a while. Yeah. So do you, so do you make anything with the cabs, like necklaces? I or don't. Earrings? No, I, I've made some earrings with like tumbled pieces we have, but I don't, I don't like metal smithing. So I just leave it to people who are better yeah. at it. Um, and I just play with rocks. And anyone that's watching, if they're interested in purchasing your cabs, um, is it best to go through on Instagram or your it is. website? Okay. Yeah. Right now I'm only selling cabs through my Instagram stories. Someday I'll graduate to my website, but right now I'm happy there. And and your Instagram is Sally Ann Creek Co. Well, that's my embroidery. So my that's rocks embroidery. is actually okay. I know it's so confusing. It's like a handle for everything. But my rocks is just Sal Diggs Montana, and it's and just empty. You are uh, are you on Facebook? If someone doesn't have an Instagram, yeah, me, I do yes. have a okay. Facebook page, and it should all cross over, and like all okay. my stories should post yeah. both places. So. So you mentioned um, when you were sort of starting to learn or maybe it was with your dad or something, you mentioned something about a club. Like, are you, is there a local club that you're involved with? Yeah, you know, I, I'm only, I'm still a part of the Helena club where I grew up digging. Um, but Bozeman has a club. Almost every town in Montana has a club. Um, I need to get more active in the Bozeman club again. But Okay, yeah, I know. I actually was just seeing, um, I, I read that uh, I think Great Falls, Montana is about to get a club. They're looking at starting okay. one. Okay, um, interesting. And then um, actually one of Amber's guests from season one, Eddie White, who oh, yeah. okay. does guiding and things for Montana, yep, yep. he actually had uh, helped start the um, club in Miles City. 
Yep, so, yep. I'm I like I I don't know him, but it's a small like rock hound state, so I I know of him. But yeah, yeah. He's like one of the few people who does like guiding rock hounding trips in the state. Yeah. Yeah, he's got some really interesting stories because as I'm sure you know, some people are very protective of yeah. their spots yeah. even if it's oh, yeah. just public land. <laughs> So mm-hmm. he's got stories of people getting really upset because he takes them to gravel bars in the middle of the river and people for some reason think they own they it. They own which, the river, yeah. It's... Yeah, and, and in Montana, anything up to the high water mark is considered the river. So mm-hmm. it's nuts that anyone would think something in the middle of the river is their, you know, property that they have some kind of control over it. But it's also like it's public and like why would you not mm-hmm. want people to get out? and enjoy it and yeah i mean not to disparage montana agates but they're mm-hmm. one of the most plentiful agates i've ever mm-hmm. run across if yeah. if anyone out there wants to find agates go to montana because it is <laughs> almost impossible to not find agates they're everywhere well that's refreshing to know because i've not made it there so i'm glad to know that yeah they're not running out and that's just one of those like egotistical personality things because you run into that with crystal digging too where oh, like yeah. in the boulder batholith like there's digs right off roads and people get very heated or there's drama about like someone says they're gonna claim it and they put a sign up but like the paperwork was never submitted and um stuff like that happens like more often and when people get like that and they like sometimes it blows up bigger and more people hear about it it just puts like a bad name for the whole community instead of just like highlighting it's interesting that you say that because just whether on the show or in private when i do like pre-interviews like it's so crazy the the like kind of rock hound drama pettiness that literally happens in every state every every locale within the state like i mean i live in the great lakes area and like there's like drama about literal rocks on the beach like it's the beach <laughs> like there's this is a beach that like you don't own the water you don't mm-hmm. own the rocks on the beach like and it's like yeah. these are these are just rocks guys you know so but it's like but you know that blows me away we're talking rocks but you know when you start talking about some of the minerals that can be very pricey not mm-hmm. that i not that i um think it's okay but I can see where some of the pettiness comes in because you're talking about, you know, money, you know, in terms of the quality and, and, and the price that some of these things go for. Um, but like something is like agates, not that agates are expensive. I'm just saying, but they're rocks, guys, that you find on, you know, on, on the side of, of a, a creek, a river, a lake, you know, it's like, yeah, relax. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen stories on some of the like different mineral groups on Facebook of people saying oh. they were out looking for the fluorescent sodalite yes. in Michigan it and someone so was nasty. on the beach looking with their flashlight and they said, you know, like, I want to respect them. And so they went, you know, half a mile ahead of them and the person got upset because they were, you know, like in their lane and, you know, trying to get ahead of them to get all their rocks. Oh, and it's like, Lord. they are everywhere out there and they're not that valuable. Like, no. despite what some people think, like, they're really <laughs> they're not rocks. that expensive. They're and like rocks. for people to get so worked up and not also just like 
want to share the hobby with people like people yeah are clearly there because they also like it and yeah. instead of being like hey like what are you doing like what light you're using like what have you found whatever yeah. they're just like they choose the whole like i'm just going to be negative and you can't be here even though it's a public beach and yeah I, I guess i don't understand that like mentality of like yeah, I, me either trying to control the hot like gatekeep the hobby and the spots that um, are public that's the I think part of that too is just like not being taught otherwise. Like some people have no excuses, but I, I see a lot of young people just in Montana who are like getting into digging and they want to be like these influencers or they don't want to have like their claims right away and they haven't put any time into like maybe learning ethics or um, just like how to even file a claim um, and then like watching them get mad when someone like leads them astray or like takes over their dig because they showed the wrong person um yeah so i think yeah just like but like you said if you're not talking to fellow rock hounders on the beach then you can't learn those things either if you're new that is like the gatekeeping yeah community is so important to the foundation of this hobby that i mean it to gatekeep or to have that kind of mentality just really tears down kind of the important aspects of why people not just because we love the rocks but you know the experiences and the connections that we make that are special so yeah it's good to hear that we're all on the same page (laughs) yeah we've talked about mineral clubs and those are a great way to like learn some of those things and also just find out about new locations um and one of the things i was going to ask then so if someone like sees all the crystals and things, and I know you mentioned that there's some locations that you go to that are private, like what are some spots that you would recommend like people go and check out in Montana? Like I'm assuming Crystal mm. Park might be one. Yeah, that's definitely like by far number one. So you can buy, it's $5 per day per person to dig there and you can spend all day. It's out of service and there's no ATMs close. So you do need to make sure you have cash on hand. But it's super affordable. You're guaranteed to find a crystal. Um, it's huge. There's lots of people there to talk to if you are a newbie. Um, go find someone who looks like they know what they're doing and say hi. Um, most of the time, everyone's really nice up there. And, do you, and have you been there and found like good like crystals then? Yeah, so that big one is from that location in that video. And then I've never found like amazing, amazing amethyst there, but I have found p- hints of purple and some scepters. But it's a really cool locale. And it's another alluvial locale, so you can just kind of dig and scratch. It's not like hard rock mining, so it's a good introduction. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, like agate hunting on the Yellowstone in eastern Montana, not in Yellowstone Park. Um, I think people sometimes get that a little mixed up. You're not collecting inside the park. Yeah, and I've I've talked with uh, some people too. Like they've actually looked at sort of the ages of the gravels that you can find Montana agates in, and the okay. volcanism is more of the Absorca volcanics, which is older than the Yellowstone volcano. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think that because there's the Yellowstone um, River and there's Yellowstone Park and the volcano, mm-hmm. and then there's agates that you find on the Yellowstone River. They think it's all interconnected, but it's actually the agates are coming out of the mountains in the area, those volcanic areas, um, and not necessarily from, you know, the Yellowstone volcano. So I think that's one thing that like a lot of people sort of misunderstand. But, um, but yeah, those are I I 
really think that anyone that wants to get good at finding other agates, like I've noticed finding Lake Superior agates became a lot easier for me when I started going and doing more Montana agates because I used to live in Montana. And there's sometimes they're really easy to find um, in Minnesota because we actually do get Montana agates in Minnesota. Um, oh. They call them honey agates because they're like the clear, like white or sort oh. of yellowish color. And when yep, the yep. sun hits them sometimes and you're out walking the river, they just they, they will literally glow. So oh, it's, cool. it's almost impossible if you go to Montana and you're in an area that has agates, if the rocks aren't covered in silt and people haven't completely picked it over, like you will find agates anywhere and they will help train your eye to start identifying like, okay, uh, waxy texture. They sometimes get those like C-shaped like chatter marks when the rocks kind of like tumble down the river. You start seeing like some of those features that are common in all agates and um you can then use that to try to find you know lake superior agates and you know any of any of those other agates that you might you know be interested in finding so i I, anyone that wants to find more agates i i say go to montana and find montana agates because they're easy to find and you'll train yourself to find even more of them and it's such a vast uh, amount of the yellowstone river where it's it's really good i will say like if you're going around Bozeman, the agates that kind of get dragged down here are a lot less like lackluster. I wouldn't even waste my time like going out to look around here. So, so where would you say is an ideal spot again to look? Like Glendive to Sydney, Miles City would be like the very beginning, but Glendive to Sydney would be like the hot zone. Okay. Yeah, you you can you can start to sort of get good um, Montana agates. I know kind of around Billings, um, like I found some around there because I like lived there, did some of the gravel bars. Um, but then when you get further downstream towards Forsyth and Miles City, that's where it really starts to pick up. Um, and then as you get further down um, into Glendive, that's where they, that's probably like the best. And that's um, when a lot of people see. Like you, you've got some really good photos of like the, with the red in the Montana mm-hmm. agates. Those are usually found that like downstream, like Glendive to Sydney area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say too, anytime that you're around the Yellowstone River, you can find agates outside of the river. Like I have been up on a hill in Miles City and found them. And we go to the Mineral Club I'm in. We'll go to a private ranch in uh, just outside of Glendive. And I have found like five pound Montana agates up on a hill, wow. like, I don't even know, maybe five, 10 miles away from the river. And some of it is from old river deposits. And some of it is from when the glaciers came down and kind of pushed things up and mixed things around. So, yep. um, yeah. Um, just, and we did have to, a question. Yeah. I was going to say for, for Mary, just to clarify. Mary yeah. And Lee. so um, Mary Lee which I think Amber. Yeah. So I say, Hey, Mary Lee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she was asking if people have agate claims. You could, but not of the Yellowstone agate. Um, Yeah. It's just like river rock kind of in the side of the banks. I, I don't think like the deposit even, I tried to read about it in one of Harmon's books. um, And it's not like a deposit you could like, go and claim and then like dig out it's all like um eroded and in the river now 
Yeah, I think I know of at just I know of one agate claim in Montana, and I think okay. it was the um it was down by the Prior Mountains. Um, it wasn't like a dry head claim. I think it was like TP Canyon or something like that. I know there was like a um some kind of like agate claim that where they were coming like out of the mountains, and there was a deposit that they were digging out that um that they did a claim for that. That I didn't know about, um, but I do know the deposits over there. They're like the Prior Mountain agates or the Bear Canyon agates is what they're called. Yeah, yeah, because there's Bear Canyon, I think Teepee Canyon, and um, the Dryhead agates. Those are all those. They, they call them cold water agates because they okay. form the limestones. Um, it's, so there's there's difference. Like this is something like I've kind of talked about with, with people Um so, like, the Yellowstone agates, the Montana moss agates, uh, Lake Superior agates, um, those all form, like, a lot of the Oregon and California agates, those form in volcanic rocks. Um, so, you've got the space in a volcanic rock, and if it forms in a space that was left by a tree, you can get, like, limb casts and those types of features. Um, usually, you know, gas bubbles. Um, and those all form in volcanic rocks. And then you've got, like, your Bear Canyons, um, I think a lot of like some of them in the Mexican agates, um, your um, Fairburn agates also formed in limestones. Those all formed in limestones and they call them like sort of cold water agates. Um, and there's also, depending on who wants to be sort of a devil's advocate or just wants to like argue with people, some people will say like, well, they didn't form in a volcanic area and they're not, you know, clear. So they're actually not agates, they're banded chert, which we can get into a whole discussion and probably get people upset more upset than people trying to like jump in front of them on a beach. But um, those are just some of the things that like, I know like in Montana, like that's the one thing that I think people um, like, if they ever want to do like a, like rock hounding, like road trip, Montana is great. Cause you can, even just for agates, you've got bear canyons, dry heads, you've got Montana moss, you know, throughout most of the state. And I think, I think on the Madison, there might even be some other like blue agates. I don't know if you yeah. heard of that. Yep, yep, the Madison blue. For whatever reason, it's like not as exciting to me because there's not patterns in it. Mm. And so it's just like, it's kind of like the holly blue. Um, it's like similar to that, only a different shade of blue. I was just wondering if anyone's ever kind of planned like, uh, like, agate trip where you just go from place to place to collect in montana like that would be like a fun trip (laughs) i know people come here for agate yeah i know some people will go like to montana for agates i've done like sort of trips like where i'm hopping around where like i might like start like billings and then i'll go to mile city and then i've got some spots i go to in terry and then glendive and so on but i i don't know if i've heard of people like doing like just agates and i think mm-hmm. th- i think that would be really fun cuz you could even yeah. do that i think agates are found in almost every state so you could even do like a road trip across the us and just i mean there's agates. like in ohio like i mean there might be some carnelians but like <laughs> they're not we're not we're not busting out the seams with agates in Ohio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like when you were 
you were just mentioning like all the different kinds that you can find in Montana. And I just think it would be cool just to like go to different ones and collect different agates there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. You could almost start like, so I know Montana has a dinosaur trail. So if you're interested, there's, I think like nine or so museums across the state that are part of what they call the dinosaur trail. So you can go okay. and see dinosaur fossils. Um, and I was talking to someone and apparently some restaurants started a Montana burger trail. So oh, they've huh. got like bars and stuff that are supposed to have like some of the like best burgers in the state that you can go and like try burgers. Cause I will say if you go to Montana, cause there's, I think five cows for every person in Montana, they've got All right. really good burgers, really good steaks. So um, yeah, we should, we should, you know, start a Montana agate trail where people can go, you know, Bear Canyon agate and, you know, different Yellowstone eggs. Like, that would be cool. That would oh, be cool. Oh, we just got the, had this comment come in. Um, not sure of the, your name, uh, B10Dodge87. <laughs> but um, they found um, agates at 8,500 feet. Um, wow. And oh, in the Bitterroot. In the Bitterroot okay. Bitter Valley, yeah. Yeah, I've known... Uh, in um near like the yellowstone park they've actually like that was where i was doing research because i've given talks on montana agates and someone mentioned that they had found like a 30 pound montana agate um but they had found it like up kind of like in the mountains but i i would guess that almost anywhere that you have any kind of volcanism if you've got enough silica in the rocks that could leach into a hole, you could you could get an agate. And I wonder too, with the ancient like glacial flooding, how much that moves stuff around. Or even I'm not a geologist, so like the timeline there. But yeah, and I know that's that's one sort of discussion because I've gotten to some arguments with people because um, I've I've done research on Montana agates and. Um, I'll mention how we find them. They call them honey agates in Montana. And I found them myself. I've got some really cool and they, I've done so much in Montana. If I throw them in a bucket next to any Montana agates, I will lose them and think they're all Montana agates. They've mm. got the red coloring. They've got the dendrites. They look clear, all of that stuff. And people will be like, well, there's no way for them to get here because the Yellowstone goes up you know, into Sydney, hits the Missouri River, cuts across North Dakota, and then goes down and connects to the Mississippi, nowhere close to Minnesota. And what people don't realize is in the past, what happened is um, the Yellowstone River flowed north and went into, um, went into uh, Canada, like up by like Regina. And then what happened was the glaciation happened and the glaciers pushed forward and actually where you see the Missouri River, that's as far as the ice got. So like the Yellowstone River came up, hit that ice, couldn't go north anymore. So then it went, you know, to the east. And so all of that rock that was north of there that had the agates in it, all of that then got pushed down further. Um, some of it then came up into, you know, Minnesota. And that's, you know, where the um those like honey agates and things in minnesota come from which i think is really interesting like to think about if i find one of those agates in minnesota the volcanism happened like 250 million years ago and then a hole had to form 
and then the water had to get in there and precipitate out an agate and then the rock had to be eroded away and then the agate had to travel down the river all the way into canada and then a glacier had to come by and push it all the way into minnesota and then i had to make my way and just happen upon it and find it and to me it's just like a crazy story of like yeah everything that had to come together for you to find like an agate I had a friend once tell me that the crystals reveal themselves to who deserves them. So I was waiting just for you. (laughs) Yeah, I can see. Yeah, like, I know there's a lot of sort of like you make your own luck and, you know, trying to do like, um, you know, like, you know, digging um, is one really, you know, big thing. But like, um, sometimes you're just lucky. Have you, have you had any times where you're like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe the luck I'm having. Like just one of those like crazy good days. Yeah. This is a little different, but, um, I was taking a friend who isn't a rock hound up hiking and we were looking for highlight opal. And so we're about like five and a half miles deep on a trail and I'm like, okay, we're in the zone. We just got in the cirque. I was like, start looking down. And I started describing what we're looking for. And not even 20 feet away from that spot, she found an arrowhead. Um, and so that was really cool. Yeah. Um, that was one of the, like, most surprising. And I was like, what the heck? That's not even what we're looking for. And she wasn't someone who likes to coll- or, you know, typically collects, right? Nope, nope. Just out there with me to have fun. And Yeah. Um, yeah, and then she found, like, the coolest find of the year. And then, <laughs> but, yeah. And then you're like, aren't you kind of, like, hoping maybe they'll give it to you because they don't really care? <laughs> like- <laughs> no, not that time. I was like, I think if it had been anyone else, maybe. Like I, I, I take my nephew out and like, I've gotten him into rock hounding, but like, he's not like a diehard. I think he enjoys it and he likes hanging out with me and he'll keep stuff. But I finally hit the year and we've been doing it for several years and we went out, I think this past summer. Oh yeah, we did. We were in Ontario and uh, we were collecting um, fluorescent sodalite, and um, he found a really nice one. And I just thought for sure he was going to give it to me because <laughs> I'm like, you don't really care about this stuff. And he was like, he's like, no, I'm keeping it. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like, I mean, you don't really care. Like, why not give it to me? <laughs> so that sometimes we, uh, I guess it's probably just less let it's better to just let them keep it but sometimes i just really wish like if you didn't really care about it just give it to me (laughs) (laughs) that's true that's like the envy of seeing what they find it's like the people who really don't care very much find good stuff (laughs) it does happen their first time out and they find something amazing that you find maybe one for every hundred trips and then they're just hooked yeah, we yeah. that reminds me of when I was at Rocky Mountain College and we were in the Prior Mountains and we were hiking along doing a geology trip and there was someone who I'm not even sure if they were even like a minor in geology. I think they might have just taken it because they need a gen ed class and they're just walking along and they just like bend down and they pick up this rock and then they, they're kind of like, you know, whatever. And then they ask the professor, they're like, hey, like, what is this? 
And he's like, oh my God. He's like, I've never seen it was an ammonite, you know, about this big, but it was perfect. Like you could see all the ridges, like everything just perfect. He's like, I've never seen an ammonite out here. And this has to be like the perfect, like whatever, you know, like the speech, like everything. He's like, it is such a good example or whatever. And the guy's just like, oh, okay, cool. Like whatever. Like I was just like, it was slightly different. So I picked it up and it's like, how could you not like love? Like it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Right. (laughs) Um, so Mary Lee had another question here about the opals. So it's highlight opal. It's not like Mm -hmm. a Spencer Idaho opal. It's more of like a, I'm not a geologist. So the chemical side of it, I don't know, but it reminds me of kind, it looks like a, a bubbly glass on a volcanic rock is kind of what you're looking for. And how yeah, do you I think, fi- like find them? Are they just kind of uh, like surface collecting? Are you digging them? Yeah, yeah. You can crack like rock to try to open it and see if stuff is inside, but I wouldn't recommend doing that because you have to hike so far to carry the tools. It's not worth it. Yeah, I think they call that like sort of common opals. So there's no fire okay. or anything like you would see Correct. in like yep. the like Virgin Valley stuff. Like there's no fire, but. Um, I know nope. like the highlight opal and then like, I've also gotten some from some like similar highlight opal from Wyoming. Um, and it, it'll fluoresce like really cool. Like, yeah. Green. So but there it, is... does it have a no, no, uh, play a color though. Right. Correct. Yeah. It's just sort of like a yep. white sort of it's like milky. Clear. Yeah. Yep. It's clear. Sometimes, okay. a li- sometimes it's a little milky, but it's mostly just clear and you would never like do lapidary with it. It's just specimens. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it does have a really great glow, really pretty green. Mm-hmm. And the specific stuff I go for, it's like, there's a few hikes that are a little shorter, but like on average, it's like at least an 11 mile hike. So you don't see a ton of specimens. So is that like one of the like further hikes that you do then to go in to try sure. or like what's like the furthest that yeah. you've like hiked in to find crystals? Um, About 13 miles, but that was backpacking. And that was in Idaho. I've backpacked and rock hounded a bit. Um, but that would have been the farthest. Other than that, it, like five miles in is like more than enough when you're carrying rocks out. Yeah, for real. Because um, yeah. I didn't even carry that many out that day and it still felt heavy by the time we got back to the car. Yeah. So the 13 mile hike, like what were you looking for? Was it more? That was the highlight opal. Oh, nope, the, the opal. highlight opal. Yep. Yep. Um, in Idaho, I was looking for quartz. Okay. Is it the Halle Opal? Is that like a, is Montana like kind of considered a main state for that? Or is oh, it kind of just like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I, I know okay. there's other locales of Highlight Opal, um, but Highlight is also talking about like the locale name for that specific Opal. Okay. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure. Okay. Yeah, I know if you pick up the, uh, like, Rock County, Montana book, I think they mention a spot for Highlight Opal in there. Oh, okay. It looks like the Miner's Girl said Utah as well. Okay, yeah. Hey, Miner's Girl. Hey, Carolyn. I read a comment from a gentleman saying that uh, just because a mineral isn't documented, it couldn't be there. And that's exactly why I won't tell you where that fossil spot I found is. Undocumented. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, but that's yeah. one of those things where it's like, are you gatekeeping info? Because I like, I don't want to die with that, but I do want to hold on to it for a little while longer. Um, 
until yeah. I like let the world know. So yeah, and yeah, and like... sometimes there's just odd things that people never knew before. Like there could have been um, like I th one of the really common things I've noticed in like some of the fossil sites I've been to is like it was like an old like lake. And so sometimes like if the whole area is like one kind of rock and then you have a lake, you'll have a, a literally a, a pocket of something different. And that's where like, like it's, it's crazy the amount of stories of like, like the, the mammoth dig site in hot Springs, South Dakota, or the gray fossil site in Tennessee of like, they were doing construction and someone was driving a bulldozer and hit like a mammoth tusk that was like 10 you know eight feet long or whatever it is um uh there was actually i was uh i just remembered it right now there was actually they actually just found one in a similar instance in north dakota where they found a seven foot long mammoth tusk like a couple of weeks ago and it's crazy like that the only reason we found or knew anything was because some construction guy one happened to hit it and two actually told someone and didn't just like toss it in his pickup truck and take it home um and then of course the scientists come out and start looking and then it's like oh my gosh this is like a huge thing but no one before then had any idea it was there because it's such an isolated thing and unless you happen to like you know do something to like like drill a well or something where you could have exposed it like you just there's so many spots that you, you know who knows what's out there <laughs> Um, we did get one question. Uh, Mary Lee was asking again about a blue rock in Idaho. Um, and then she also mentions about like mountain lions and carrying protection. So the first part, um, I know we talked kind of about like the holly blues. Is is that, could that be what she's talking about? Or do you know? Other um, if it's, if it's Idaho, she's talking about aquamarine. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the blue that's famous there for sure. Um, okay. and then I actually, I'm not really scared of mountain lions. It's grizzly bears where I'm from. That's why we carry bear spray. Uh, mountain lions are scary too, but most of the time, like if they're following you, you're not going to see them. Whereas like a grizzly bear, he's going to come after me in a, in a more way. Um, and then some of the spots I dig in are, or not even dig in, but I collect at, um, are really famous for like grizzly attacks. So so speaking of like some of the dangers and things i know in western montana there's been like some earthquakes like throughout history have you experienced any earthquakes yeah in middle school i actually got two more weeks of summer because our middle school like part of the building like collapsed during a like an earthquake and they had to like do the construction to fix it so we got a longer summer wow like that's yeah, yeah a lot of people <laughs> don't realize like montana actually has like quite a bit of earthquakes mm -hmm. um a lot of really... time we just don't feel them yeah well there's been some huge ones um i get a calendar every year from the montana geological okay. um the montana bureau of mines and geology and this year it was on the hebgen lake earthquake which was in i think the okay. 60s okay. and it's really cool i actually did a geology trip there um the offset of where the the fault was where the earthquake happened it was like 20 feet and you can still go there and it's like still like 12 feet high of like that was the offset of the earth like the earth literally moved like 20 feet i and, didn't know that yeah and so there's like landslides and all sorts of stuff um and even like going further back i think like early 1900s um 
like a lot of people are sort of confused because I went to school at Rocky Mountain College, which is in Billings, Montana, which is nowhere near the Rocky Mountains. But they actually their campus used to be in Helena and there was a huge earthquake and the campus got like leveled. And then they decided we're just going to move the campus to Billings. And then I've never heard that. Yeah. And so they, I think initially they were called Polytechnical, like Montana Polytech. They actually were before the state was actually became a state. So they're actually older than the state of Montana. But yeah, it's just like a really interesting story because a lot of people don't think, like they'll think of like, you know, Alaska, California, like, you know, the ring of fire, like earthquakes, but Montana's had quite a few earthquakes, which just another interesting like Montana geology thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and then you could like slip right into like Yellowstone being the volcano and like could erupt at any time. Because I remember in elementary, that's something that we would always like someone would get teased about and then the whole class would be in like dire, scared, (laughs) repair. Yeah, yeah, and we had um, our uh, season finale guest of season two, um, Denali, who on TikTok goes by Dykenite, who's a PhD volcanology student. Like, mm, she's I talked about like her. some of the like like volcanology stuff, where like people freak out about like Yellowstone's gonna erupt, and it's also like, well, no, not really. There's <laughs> there's so many more like volcanoes, especially like in the Cascade region that you know, are way more likely, you know, like Mount Rainier, Mount St. Helens type volcanoes that would erupt and cause a ton of issues. So yeah. Yeah. There's just, I don't know. I like geology. (laughs) It's one of those things, the more, you know, the less you seem to know, because there's just like more avenues to learn in. Right. So do you like, so I guess on that vein, like, is there a lot of research that you do, like, trying to study the geology to try to find, like, new locations to date? Oh, my gosh. Yes and no. Um, I have the hardest time reading geology books. It's such dry reading. And, like, the old records, like, I could read the same paragraph three times and then maybe get, like, two sentences out of it. Um, no, I depend a lot on my dad. And then I've like all of Leland's records um, going through those. And then like my best friend is my dig partner um, and he's really knowledgeable and he's had like amazing mentors himself. His name's Paul. He's probably like one of the other big diggers in our state and yeah, just knowing people and then just getting feet on the ground, lots of feet on the ground, but yeah, there's a lot of resources out there if you like know the right places to look to. Was there anything else that you like wanted to to talk about? I don't think so. I think we covered it all. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, if there's anyone that wants to find uh, more of Sally's stuff, um, her embroidery is. Um, um, I'm sorry. I just. Uh, You're fine. It's, it's, it's the Sally, Sally Ann. Sally Ann Creek Co. Um, and that's Ann without an E. So A-N-N. Sally Ann Creek Co. Dot com. Um, and then she's also uh, Sal Diggs MT. On, um, you can look up on Instagram, Facebook, any of those things. Um, if you want to buy some crystals or embroidery. Um, 
which she's got some really cool stuff. So check her out. So thank you again um, for sticking with us through all of this and um, just sharing your experience. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun to be here. Yeah, thank you. And so everyone knows our next episode is mm-hmm. coming up in two weeks on uh, February 7th at 845 Eastern time. And we are going to have Keely who is a paleontological technician. Um, So she does um, fossil prep. Um, I actually just had a fossil prep by her. It was a nice, cool, they call them frog crabs from Oregon. So I'll show some pictures of that. And she does, uh, it's a fossil talk on TikTok. She'll do like live fossil prep. So there's going to be a ton of really cool stuff to, to talk about with her. So uh, tune in on February 7th for that. And um, I hope you guys all have a great night. So bye, everyone. Bye.